Welcome to the TAGT podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT podcast. This podcast was recorded at the TAGT annual conference, Gift Ed 22. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at RenzuliLearning.com. Today, we're chatting with the District Coordinator of Secondary Advanced Academics and Gifted and Talented in McKinney ISD, Javetta. Javetta Jones-Roberson. So glad you're here today. Thank you for having me, Mike. Yeah, Javetta, you received your Doctorate of Education in the Educational Leadership Program at Texas A&M University Commerce. Her research interests include diverse gifted and AP populations, equity and gifted, culturally responsive pedagogy involving teaching leadership and curriculum, and professional learning of teachers. Previously, she has served as a high school dean of instruction, high school advanced academics coordinator, elementary gifted campus coordinator liaison, and uh, district professional development facilitator for advanced academics and gifted dual language teacher. Javetta serves on the board of directors for the Council of Exceptional Children Association for the Gifted and is an immediate past board member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented. She also serves on the Diversity, Equity, and Access Committee, Engage Online Committee, Conference Program Committee, Special Programs Network as Program Co-Chair, and G-Race SIG Co-Chair with the National Association of Gifted Children. Javetta is the recipient of the 2021 SENG or SENG Gifted Educator of the Year Award. And she continues to author articles, book chapters, and offers professional learning on helping gifted student populations from various backgrounds thrive. What does Javetta not do? Don't do that. We're so glad you're here, Javetta. <laughs> Thank you. How are you? I've been very blessed. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, clearly, and, and that's one of, the, one of the reasons why I'm so glad to have you on the podcast is to bring that angle of that type of experience, that coordinator work, but also there's so many other things involved. So tell us a little bit. Let's start there. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to be where you are today. Ooh, well, um, I, well, I want to first start off with uh, thank you for being able to interview me and us being able to interact in this platform with you and with everyone else. Mm. Um, my journey, I actually am a fourth generation educator. Um, I come from a long line of educators in my family. Uh, and so I'm the baby of three, and so I'm the only child that went the education route. Like, my brothers went business, finance, and I was like, I'm stuck. So <laughs> I went uh, the education route and followed my parents. So, uh, But that's, that's the early inception of my journey. Um, <clears throat> I began my career in Fort Worth ISD, where you currently are now. We used to uh, work in the same capacity together. Uh, great times. Yeah. Um, Fort Worth taught me so much being in a large urban school district. Um, the campuses that I served at were uh, great communities, great families, and they were all um, families who had a high percentage, uh, campuses who had a high percentage of ELs, campuses who had a high percentage of black students, and campuses who had um, at least 97% or higher economically disadvantaged. Uh, that's at every campus that I worked at, um, from elementary to high school, and even when I would do professional learning together uh, with Fluche. Um, 
it really made me look at giftedness from a different perspective. Um, my first year teaching, um, I had parents who I really had to shift the narrative with because when I first learned about uh, giftedness and why we didn't have a lot of students identified uh, as being gifted, I realized that there was not a big knowledge base, right? Um, a big knowledge base of giftedness within various populations. I'm like, I'm sitting in these third and fourth and fifth grade classrooms like, this baby is brilliant. Like, what is going on? And um, it all took just asking a question. I asked uh, my principal at the time, and then I, um, I started researching on my own how to identify gifted, diverse populations. What can I do as a teacher? And what uh, I realized is that as a teacher, I had a lot of power. So if you are in the classroom, please know you have a lot of power and a lot of um, um, work that you could be doing on the advocacy side where people will listen. It may not feel like you, they don't, but they will. Um, so uh, moving through that, uh, that piece, um, I had a, one year I had a parent night and I was able to uh, talk with different parents that I was interested in uh, making sure that they filled out nomination because even back then, of course, you had to have parent permission in order for students to be uh, assessed. And um, one parent told me, I don't want my child to be identified gifted because I wasn't gifted in school. And I said, Okay, so no. Um, it's very different. Uh, giftedness and gifted education is very different from when you and I were in school, ma'am. And uh, what's so funny, we're actually good friends now uh, because I was able to get her daughter identified and she went on to go to college, get a scholarship and do all the great things. Uh, but even I had another parent to say, well, the work is too hard. And I don't, they're a student, I don't want him to do all of that work. We've already tried before, and he couldn't get in, so we're not going to try again. And I had to explain, a, bi a big piece of my, my role was education. Like, okay, these parents don't know. Like, wow, let me just kind of sit and talk with you. Hey, look, here are the benefits of your child being identified. Here's the work that we do outside of differentiation, but them being identified as gifted. Man, it can take them places we wouldn't even imagine, right? And so I, a big piece at that time is being a gifted dual language teacher was just trying to give uh, that education piece to parents, right? Uh, I work uh, on the dual language side. A big population of the kids in elementary were um, Latinx, so their language was Spanish. And so I uh, had an awesome uh, team teacher who I was like, girl, I need you to translate. <laughs> I need help because, I, you know, the parents, their, their culture, they're feeling like they don't want to be pinpointed or their child to be focused in on because of maybe some other underlying factors. Uh, and so we worked together on that and I had a, um, a great, great experience as an elementary coordinator for Gifted and an elementary dual language teacher. And then I said, okay, I want a challenge. 
And during that time, we were um, working together, me and Fluche, as uh, presenters for professional learning at the same time. We were able to build our uh, expertise and careers and going to conferences and getting trainings during that time. Uh, and so I said, well, I want a challenge. Um, I want to go to high school. And my husband said, okay. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and said, I think you can do it. And I said, okay, so let's <laughs> do it. And so I had already had experience uh, training high school teachers. So I was like, well, let me go and try and see what I can. And I, I got an opportunity to uh, go to a high school to be an advanced academics coordinator. So working with high school gifted kids and high school AP kids and dual credit and programs of choice and all that stuff. And I said, this is my wheelhouse. And then the first day I cried, I was like, I miss the babies. <laughs> but it was so funny because that afternoon and even the rest of the week, I realized the high school kids are just like the elementary gifted kids. Yeah. I was like, I love it here. And so um, I got to see a different side, which college and career readiness. Um, and some of the same issues that we saw with the trajectory of gifted for elementary that matriculated to high school, because we know that that serves as the pipeline for AP, pre-AP, dual credit, uh, honors, things like that. So um, it gave me a great perspective, mm. um, both ends of the spectrum, right, to mm -hmm. look at it from those, uh, uh, those perspectives. Um, and from there... I did that role and then I went into uh, campus leadership as a dean of instruction and curriculum for high school. I stayed in high school. And uh, the great piece about it that is with my leadership experience, I was able to still touch gifted and dual credit. A lot of times when you move um, through your career and through different roles, you kind of want to still touch your passion in some form, but you still learn other skills and trades and things like that along the way, and I was blessed to still do that. Um, and I did that for about four, four and a half years, um, and then um, got my doctorate, and then um, I got an opportunity to teach at the University of North Texas. And so I took that, and then I got the job in the uh, position where I am now, uh, as a coordinator to oversee secondary events academics in McKinney. Um, so I'm still teaching at UNT, go Mean Green. And uh, <laughs> uh, what's so funny, both of my parents went through that program uh, that I'm teaching at. And so my uh, department chair was like, you know you're rare, right? Because, man, you know, we don't really have children alumni <laughs> come back and teach. I said, oh. Well, all right, <laughs> I'm here. So, um, and it's been a great experience so far. Uh, but along my journey too, I made it a point uh, from teaching on up to where I am now to be active and to make sure that I tap into my servant leadership. So from then on, I have always been active with TAGT, with SCENE, with uh, NAGC, with CEC TAG. Uh, with World Council for the Gifted, I wanted to make sure that I realized early on, remember I told you guys how powerful your voice is? I realized that a lot of researchers in our field don't merge the practice, 
right? So a lot of times I was looking and reading articles and I was like, oh, this is so great. I'm going to use this. And I was like, well, wait, I feel like they need to put something and something here because when I did this last week, that didn't work. And it dawned on me that, oh my gosh, they need our voice. They need to be able to merge research and practice together. So I need to be sitting at these tables. I need to be talking to these individuals because I'm in the field. I'm in the thick of it. I'm working with teachers. I'm working with students. I'm working with families. I'm working with other leaders who do not have a clue about gifted, but I'm trying to help. Hmm. Um, and I need them to know, understand the value of this work and what is needed. Research and practice needs to merge, and that's the one thing that I thought about. Same with our state level, with committees, things like that. I made sure, okay, if we're, I'm on the standards committee for NAGC now, we're revamping the entire standards because they need to be updated. But I don't think that opportunity wouldn't have happened if I wasn't active. Mm. Um, because not to say the standards were bad before, but it was, okay, we need to make sure we have practitioners who are touching, right? Mm -hmm. Touching the babies, touching our, um, our, our communities, things like that. Not, not, not literally. But, <laughs> so I, I made that a point. Servant leadership is, is, is a big piece of who I am. Um, so I, I encourage all of you, please make sure in your district, in your state, even nationally, try to find a committee or something to join and to serve because you're needed, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, clearly your resume really demonstrates your commitment to uh, participating in, in lending your voice. And I, and I do, I'm so appreciative for a place like TAGT for yes. educators who are either directly in uh, gifted services or, or kind of adjacent to it because it does provide that opportunity. But I appreciate those words of encouragement because even within this opportunity of TAGT, it's still so meaningful and powerful when someone's willing to step out and volunteer, yes. get involved, maybe work towards a presentation because that um, that could really elevate your understanding of this work yes. uh, and also get you plugged into people that, that can really help. There were times when I was getting my doctorate, I didn't know, I, you know, I, I just went out on a limb. I, um, the people you read and study in the research is like, I'm a peon. They don't want to talk to me. They don't want, I don't know them. They don't. But something in me was like, let me just reach out to like Donna Ford or let me reach out to Joy Lawson Davis or let me reach out to Christina Collins. Um, mm. And I just emailed them. Hey, I'm working on this and I'm actually active in this. I've really enjoyed your work. Um, do you have any resources to support me? And it was like the floodgates open. They yeah. wanted to hear from people from the field. I got directly mentored by those individuals. Uh, they're now good friends. Um, I think that a big piece of it was they had a connectivity piece from somebody from the field, right? It was a, yeah, well, she seems really passionate. She seems like she knows you know, her stuff. But on top of that, she's working what we're researching. We need to work together, right? Same with um, the late Marsha Gentry. Like, it was just a, a, a notion to just reach out. And I'm, I'm so blessed and grateful that I did. Um, there were times where I had submitted to TAGT. They won't admit this. 
<laughs> I submitted early in my career and I would get denied. I'm like, I can't believe it. Same with NAGC. Um, but it still put me in the mind frame of do not get discouraged. Try again next year, right? I urge and employ you guys to do that. Um, if you have ever had a situation where you've applied for mm -hmm. a session to present or to keep going, like go the next year. Um, that year I didn't have any presentations, um, but I learned so much. It was actually in Houston. That's what's so funny. We, uh, we were in Houston, I think it was like 2012 or something. Um, but I was able to learn so much from the leaders that were there at TAGT, uh, here at TAGT, and I was able to make connections and then really grow my craft. That's key. And I think yeah. you said that earlier, just trying to be in those spaces to grow your craft. So um, don't get discouraged if your stuff don't get approved. <laughs> you need to go ahead and apply again, get on these committees, because, man, it's so valuable. I, I cannot see my life without uh, TAGT, seriously, and that's not even a plug of what we're doing now. It has added so much value uh, to my teaching and my leadership mm -hmm. um, that I am grateful for. Javetta was not paid to say that. So I was just not. Just make that very clear. I don't have the money. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. But you're right, though. I think that that is something about there's this communal aspect when you show up at a Give Dead, which we're at Give Dead 22 at this recording, and uh, what TAGT provides is that that opportunity to walk with the researchers uh, for for growth. And you, there's just so much to take away uh, because we have great people like you presenting. And I know for those who are who are here, you're, you're working McKinney and obviously mm -hmm. previously, but as a coordinator. I think there's a lot of coordinators that show up, and we're in the great state of Texas, but GT yes. looks very different Ooh, in yes. McKinney compared to Keller or El Paso, yeah. and, and much less some districts that maybe don't even have any uh, mm -hmm. person who support. And it's the classic story of, hey, you've got these two roles, but oh, by the way, here's GT as mm -hmm. well. So there's mm -hmm. something about uh, coordinators being here or future coordinators and teachers being here. How is maybe being a part of TAGT uh, maybe helped out you as a coordinator in terms of uh, leading services? I used to say, TAGC is like my people. At the end of my <laughs> session, I'd be like, oh, my people are here. I would connect with them. I was connecting with other coordinators, other gifted teachers, other, when I was a dean, a campus administrator, I was connecting with them because it's not just us, you know, it's uh, central office leadership, it's campus leadership, mm -hmm. but it was just a real big connectivity piece. Um, to where I was able to really get with other like-minded people. That just feels so good, you know, because it's times where you go to other conferences that will not be named. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, everybody is out of touch. Oh, my gosh. But when you come to TAGT, it's just a good feeling. Like, okay, these people know what they're doing. I think uh, with me being uh, in the coordinator role, um, it just was I being with like-minded people, having sessions that really cater to what I'm doing, right, and what others doing, and really relating here to Texas because we need the support. It's like, yeah, I need to keep coming back here, mm -hmm. right? That that's what's needed. Um, I'm like, if I don't do nothing else every year, um, mm -hmm. I'm coming to TAGT. Except for last year, I had my son. That was the first TAGT that I missed, uh, gifted that I missed, and I uh, my last uh, term as the board member, a board member, and I said, 
I, I zoomed everybody and I was like, here's my reason for not coming, you guys. <laughs> but that, you know, it was, everyone's so supportive. But but that's that's why I say the connectivity piece is so strong with TAGT, uh, because it truly is a family. It really is. And, and again, I appreciate you sharing your story in the sense of I really do hope that teachers and everybody's super encouraged about what their journey can be, yes. that there's careers and pathways ahead of them, that even if you're a singleton in your district as a GT teacher, coordinator, or otherwise, there's a community here and also a way to grow yeah. uh, within within the walls here at TAGT. This work is, um, sometimes it gets really lonely um, to where it's like thinking about your purpose and thinking about your why it's so difficult sometimes to continue to stress that to others to where their priorities right. is standardized testing yeah. or something else you know, within your district. It gets tough. But the work, I always say, just like with equity work, what is going on? Uh, <laughs> for equity work, it's, it's necessary, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And let's get into that a little bit because you're okay. talking about um, some of the culturally responsive things in your presentations here today. You talked about the need for culturally responsive leaders and teachers who work with diverse student populations. What is that need? Oh, so as we look at our schools across the country, the populations are continuing to change, continuing to evolve. We have to make sure we're equipped with tools and strategies, uh, not just as teachers, but as leaders to support them, right? Um, being culturally responsive, um, being equitable in everything we do within Gifted is so needed. Um, I think that a lot of people have that misconception of it's one type of gifted student. Um, or when we're talking about cultural responsiveness, we're only focusing in on race. No, 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 no. When we think about culturally responsiveness, we're talking to the needs and teaching to and through the strengths of each student. So our students who are English learners that are gifted, we've got to be responsive towards them. Our students who are 2E, who have 504, who are SBIT, we have to be responsive to them. Uh, our babies who um, are black and Latina, uh, Native American, we have to be responsive to them. Decades have shown that there has been underrepresentation for those groups in gifted. It's just a fact, it's the data, it's what it is. And we're gonna have to make sure we call a thing a thing. We are aware of our data, we're seeing our data. Now what are we going to do about that? Not just quantitative wise with the numbers, but qualitative in our observation, in our pedagogy, in what we do, right? In our practices. So really looking at called being culturally responsible responsive um, and equitable in GT and even in advanced placement is so needed. Um, I think that a big misconception, like I was saying earlier, is that um, I know in the political climate that we are in, uh, anything diversity, equity, and inclusion, people are trying to stray away from uh, because of the fabricated hysteria um, around it. I think what's important moving forward is that at the end of the day, our students still need us. 
students from these various groups are still in our schools, still in our programs, and they're still needing to be served. What are we going to do about that, right? And are we gonna have a mind frame that is strengths-based to support them versus deficit thinking, right? Even from those from low SES populations, they still have um, untapped potential or potential in general. Um, they still have gifts. We gotta make sure that we're fostering and honing in on those. Because a lot of times what I talked to you guys about earlier was that your voice is powerful. Advocacy is powerful. And a lot of times you're probably the only kids in their only people in their corner. So um, it's needed um, to mitigate a lot of the inequities that have plagued gifted for years, that have plagued our society, things that have trickled down from our society that have trickled down into gifted for over 50, 60, 70 years. We have to be able to have a mind frame and a paradigm shift to mitigate those inequities. Acknowledge that they're there. We're not blaming anyone, but history is history. How can we move forward in supporting the kids? And I think that's what uh, people are getting so hung up on. Um, I was just talking to people in our session yesterday about that, and they were just saying, everybody's made anything with diversity just a, a true political um, fight. And it's like, but these students are here. How is the politics should not get away? Everybody, when I was in school, people used to say, you know, um, politics shouldn't be anywhere in education, anywhere in the classroom. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> when I got here and got in the classroom, and then when I got in the coordinator role and started learning about laws and legislation and how things work in general, it was like, oh, it's here. <laughs> well, what can we do about it, right? Um, so, like I said, just backing up, just making sure that um, we're confident in what we're teaching, we're confident in what we're knowing, but also we're thinking uh, in the sense of, listen, equity is fairness based on individual difference or need. Let's make sure we're focusing on making sure every child has everything they need regardless of their mm -hmm. difference, right? That's what that focus should be. So that's what culture responsiveness is. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. So there might be this, you know, these hot topics that are sensitive that our, our society is chewing on and perceiving on. But in gifted education, it, it feels like, and based off what you're saying, but there's still kids in front of us with, who, who have needs, who have potential, who have talent that needs to be developed. Yes. And we can't miss that. Yes. Uh, just because of this other conversation going yes. on. Yes. Like, we need, we need to have the discourse. I think that's the big piece. People don't have the discourse. They're scared to talk about it. Or they don't have the knowledge. Or they think they do. I don't know about y'all. Well, I know about y'all. Y'all got the same certifications I got. We studied the same material, we went to the same schools, we went through the ringer. And even if some of you, I, I didn't do this when I was elementary, but God bless y'all, the Reading Academy people. Ooh. Oh, man. My goodness. But thinking about everything that you do to keep up with your craft, I trust you. People in our community trust you. Um, stakeholders trust you. It's a loud, small minority that uh, just kind of talks. 
But I think we have to sift through that uh, hysteria, right? We've got to kind of stay focused on, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm teaching. I know what I was taught. I trust um, our stakeholders in the state who trained me. I trust my university, my alternative certification program. It could be any of those things. And I'm continuously trying to grow every year as an educator, whether it be a leader, coordinator, teacher, whatever. I think trust is a big piece. Mm-hmm. I trust my people, right? Mm-hmm. We, your kids trust you. Your parents do. I told you it's a small minority, but I think John Lewis says it best. It's always good trouble <laughs> mm-hmm. when you are doing good um, uh, for people. Um, I think I think that's one thing that you have to think about as well. Mm. Well, you're and I love this. You're bringing a lot for us to think about. And one of the other things that you talked about or or are presenting on here at this conference is underachievement yeah. and and the impact of underachievement in the work that we do. Yes. What does that look like? And what, and what are you bringing to the table with that with uh, this conference? So um, we have an underachievement um, book coming out with uh, Dr. Collins and uh, Dr. Fernanda. Uh, in the spring, and I didn't say this before, but myself and Aaron Floyd, we also have a book coming out on cultural responsiveness, uh, gifted leadership uh, next year. So please be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, for today's presentation, me and Christina Collins were actually presenting on underachievement, those perspectives and those possibilities of how to support a gifted, underachieving child from all facets, right? We have some amazing, uh, we edited a book and we have some amazing authors who've contributed along with ourselves uh, just on how those perspectives look when supporting underachievement through gifted. I think um there's some great research out there. I think we feel a gap in the research from perspectives of practitioners and what they're seeing, right? Um, uh, research for uh, observations and for other studies that's happened or you know, perspectives from leadership. This is how I've seen uh, underachievement as a coordinator when I go on campuses supporting teachers. We bring a bunch of different perspectives uh, to how supporting our students uh, within under, underachievement. So I'm, I'm really excited about our book. I'm really excited about our presentation that we're going to be going over today because we're going to really give you some tips and, tr- uh, and tools to help that um, underachieving gifted kiddo who you're like, you know, I know you can do it. I know you have all these other uh, underlining factors, but I'm still going to choose to make sure I approach you from a strength-based approach. I'm going to look at the gifts that you bring and make sure I foster into that so we can kind of shift that perspective and shift, you know, where you are um, uh, as a student. So, I, you know, I'm very excited about the underachievement um, um, uh, session. I hope you all come, please, That's 1130. Right. And that's great because I think underachievement is a very real life, you know, that is something Mm -hmm. that if you're a gifted uh, teacher or working with students with high abilities, you know, being able to respond when you feel like, yeah, you're not getting the most out of your students. That's a, that's a complicated question and you got to consider several things. uh, And ultimately you want to see that manifest in being successful. And we've had a few people tackle that issue in our conversations and podcasts. 
Um, do you have any of those tips that you could start us off with if you're a teacher out there, other than going to get your book, of course, which I wasn't paid to say that. You uh, were not, because <laughs> you didn't know. <laughs> no, I want you guys to come to our session. Um, just really, we really focus in on the perspective of the leader, the perspective of the teacher, perspective of the researcher, and even perspectives of students, um, and how underachievement has really affected uh, their educational journey and mm. gifted. We talk about those things, but we also do give strategies on how to support within that. So when you're looking at underachievement, making sure that, okay, it does not quote unquote define the child, right? Um, we know that there are several factors that could possibly be affecting their underachievement, whether it be towards various tasks or just kind of overall in general, their program, whether it be towards certain subjects that gifted. Um, it, we have to look at the child holistically. Um, and I think that's what can really help us support um, kind of shifting that mindset of underachievement and kind of looking and saying, okay, this is what I might need to do. This is how I can support the counselor. Um, we even have counseling perspectives um, um, social emotional perspectives uh, of underachievement to help support uh, our gifted kiddos. So we we really have a lot without giving everything away from yeah. this session. We really have a lot that can support you guys. We're going to take a break, but stick around to hear what our speaker has to say next. Are you ready to celebrate our GT community during GT Awareness Week, April third through seventh, twenty twenty three? GT Awareness Week was created to increase awareness and encourage support of gifted education in Texas. Want to celebrate but not quite sure how? Visit txgifted.org slash gtawarenessweek to download the TAGT celebration guides made specifically for you to help you celebrate. Through online community discussions and social media posts, parents, educators, and advocates come together to celebrate giftedness. Make sure to tag and follow us at TXGifted on Twitter and Instagram and TexasGifted on Facebook to show how you're celebrating your GT community April 3rd through 7th. See you there. Okay, again, Javetta, I feel like you just bring such a great energy. So, oh, so you. much of your journey, I think, is an inspiration to a lot of people. Uh, as we start to kind of make our way towards the end of this a little bit, I've got my fast five questions okay, to learn come a, little, on. a little bit more about you. The point isn't to uh, dive into them too deeply, but to have a little bit of fun. Are you I'm ready? ready for some fun. I mean, this has been fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm so happy to see y'all's faces, y'all's smiling faces. Thanks for smiling. It's like reassuring, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, yeah. If our audience so. was just frowning the whole time, it'd be bad. It yeah. would, <laughs> but I'm grateful I haven't had that experience. Alrighty, question number one. Okay. You've got a Saturday to do anything. What do you do and why? Oh my gosh. I now I have a little I have a one year old at home and I'm brewing twins. Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh so I'm sitting down. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm sitting down. I'm trying to catch up on shows. Yeah. I'm trying. And I'm trying to spend some time with my son. Mm. Um, in these short months where it's just me and him and daddy. Yeah. So, um, and I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Yes. Question number two. 
If you had to describe yourself as a cartoon character or TV show character, who would it be and why? What? Maybe <laughs> I've never a cartoon <laughs> character or a TV show character. That's right. Who can I relate to? That's that's exactly what I'm trying to get you to, to think about. Maybe there aren't any. I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. Because <laughs> I'm really, like, stumped. A cartoon character or a TV? Well, you, you said you haven't caught up on your show, so maybe you, you need to do that first and get back to us. I'm going to have to because I'm like, who who can be? Who is me? Who am I? Who like? is me? Who is me? Okay. <laughs> I love that. Who am I? <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. If you that's think of something, one, you can throw though. it out there. But I'll throw right. it out. I'm going to keep marinating on that. Some forced input creativity activities Not there. Forced. Sorry. Oh, gosh. All right. Question three. If you could tell an earlier version of yourself one thing about how you learn, what would you tell them? Ooh. Um, you learn because I do have, a, I have ADHD. So you are a 2E learner. Mm-hmm. Um. So you learn a multitude of ways, um, depending on your environment. And also, you learn um, depending on the music channel on Spotify. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, I've realized, too, that sometimes you need to touch it like a book. I know I like audio. I like... If I, when I was in school, but I was like, oh, I need that to come here so I can touch the pages and Mm -hmm. highlight and see and do, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a visual learner, but also I've got to make sure I'm touching Um, (laughs) and and seeing it right in front of me. Um, And note cards sometimes work and sometimes don't work. Mm. I need to, I I wish I would have told myself that earlier. I wish I would have used like Cornell notes, okay. like through Avid, the Avid strategy. Right, some of these strategies you're Man, around. Yeah, I was like the strategies I'm, I learned about later. I was like, I could have been better with this, but um, <laughs> that I'm serious. I was like, man, I could have did this. So um, yeah, that I, I'm I'm that type of learner, um, and yeah, a bunch of highlighters. Bunch yeah. of <laughs> that's that's great. That's a perfect answer to that question. Okay. <laughs> uh, question number four: Who has been an inspiration in your educational career? Oh, that's a good, good question. It's multifaceted. Um, my parents, my mom, and my dad. Yeah, educators. Right? Uh, yeah, they were educators, and like I said, I was a fourth generation educator. So, um, I've them, I will say, oh, that's so good. Um, a lot of the gifted scholars now that are my friends, uh, they have inspired me in some form. So Shelly Trotman Scott, um, Christina Collins, uh, Donna Ford, Joy Lawson Davis, Aaron Floyd, Terry Grantham, uh, Gilman Whiting, who are, mm. these are all my friends as well, but, and of course, the late Marsha Gentry. Um, um, even our new president elect uh, that's coming in, Matt Fugate, they have uh, really, uh, oh, 
and another past president, two past presidents, Susan Johnson and Lynette Breedlove. Uh, with my educational journey uh, and Tracy Inman, I'm like forgetting people. Uh, so charges <laughs> in my head, not my heart. Uh, those people have really been instrumental in helping me uh, through my career, even through doctorate and then so on and so forth, even mm -hmm. with now. Um, also just trying to think about um, any scholars who have um, been equity-based or scholars who think about merging research and practice, those are people who have helped me because there's some great, brilliant people out there, but they've never taught. They've never been in the classroom. And I can listen to you, and I think you have great ideas, but it's so refreshing to have a perspective from others who've done both. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've been blessed to do both, currently doing both now. So I, uh, some of those people have uh, influenced me uh, tremendously. Yeah, and I think that I think that truth of, of of that you've that you've been pretty consistent with here of, of bringing that practical piece. I think that really will resonate well with our teachers listening to this. Hold on, and I got two more people. Okay, Fort Worth people. I'm gonna have to start charging at some You're point. You're gonna have to. <laughs> <laughs> two Fort Worth people. Um, Janice Harris. She used to be the you um, <laughs> in in the role for elementary. She, during my first year of GT training, she gave me a chance to present and to research on Gifted. And she said, after I got trained by her, she said, why don't you start presenting? I said, do you, you think I should? And she said, no, no, you're pretty passionate about this. And she instilled something in me, and I, I will always be grateful for her for that. Um, and Caroline Hill, mm -hmm. she was my, uh, at that time, she was the, what is it, the feeder school K-8 gifted coordinator. And when I would do GT testing, when I would do trainings and nominations, she was always there to support and be supportive. Um, and um, those two, what's so funny, it's not even about race, but those two women those two women were white, and they loved me, and I loved them, and they were equity strong. And I was like, I love y'all. <laughs> Thank y'all. So uh, I want to give them their flowers for that, too. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Uh, if you had to tell teachers to do one thing, this is question five, to develop student potential, what would it be? Say that question again. If you had to tell teachers to do one thing to develop student potential, what would it be? Have a paradigm shift. Every child does not learn the same. It's so easier said, but it's not done, y'all. Some people don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> we need you to listen and have a paradigm shift, have an open mind, uh, uh, but also have a belief. This is what I believe personally. I believe that every child has untapped potential. It's our job to try and foster or pull it out or figure out how to get it out of them. They have to see themselves as geniuses, scientists, researchers, philosophers. We've got to help them do that, right? That's my uh, philosophy on everything. So I think a big piece is listen, have an open mind, shift your perspective, think about that paradigm shift of how you are thinking currently and be critically self-reflective of what you do every day. 
and have a continuous growth mindset. I don't know everything. Yes, I'm a scholar, but I don't know everything. I'm continuously learning and growing every year. You have to have that mindset in education. As we have unfortunately learned, education ain't the same two years ago. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the same five years ago. It wasn't mm-hmm. the same a year ago. Um, it changes. And change is good a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, again, I'm so encouraged by you and uh, what you um, are sharing here in our podcast. If other people want to find out more about you or get connected with you, how do they do that? Website, social media, what, what would you yeah, recommend? Find me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, uh, Dr. JJ Robertson 12, I think. Uh, Dr. JJ Robertson 12. Please follow me. Um, I have a website, Nurturing Creative Minds. Please follow me or reach out to me there. My web, my email address is jjoneslmr at gmail.com. Uh, if you need support in your district, if you need support uh, within your school, uh, within your university, parent group, uh, I have been fortunate to be able to support all of those entities and hoping to support even more. So if you need me, I am here. Please reach out to me. Um, I'd love to stay connected with everyone here and everyone listening in the listener That's world. Right. The yeah. podcast world. They're out there, yeah. They are. <laughs> I, I still don't have a cartoon character. That's okay. We'll do that in the next podcast. It's all right. Mm. Thank you so much to our guest today, <laughs> Dr. Javetta Jones-Roberson. We're so glad you're here and so glad you could join us. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at RenzuliLearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12, and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.